We now turn to our scripture reading from Romans chapter 15, verses 22 to 33. Please stand for the reading of God's word. You can find that in your pew Bible on page 950. Romans 15, starting in verse 22. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you, once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem, for they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles had come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this, and I have delivered, them, delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Let's pray together. May the God of peace be with you all. Lord, we pray that uh, you, the God of all, would be our peace today. We bring before you our hopes and dreams, our plans, our wishes and our prayers. We bring before you the urgent uh, desires of our hearts, the intentions of our minds, our longings for um, a married partner, for a successful business, for a peaceful life. We want uh, today, as we come to your word, to understand how to fit all these different dreams and aspirations into the overarching scheme of your will and your purpose so that you, the God of peace, would be with us. So we ask your help in this regard. In the name of Jesus, amen. Well, friends, turn with me to Romans chapter 15 and verses 22 to 33. You've just had it read out, and this is the passage we're going to be looking at this morning. You'll find it in your worship folder as well. Romans 15 and verses 22 through to verse 33. Perhaps uh, you've heard it said, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. And I wonder whether Paul felt that a little bit, looking back on this um, series of statements he said here about what was going to happen to him. Those of us who know biblical history a little bit will realize that things did not turn out as he planned, nor quite as he asked to be prayed for. And so how are we, as those who wish to follow Jesus, to make plans... And yet acknowledge that God is God and sovereign over all. Well, here is a model for us, an example for us as we live in this world with its changing tides and seasons, how to make 
plans, and which is verses 22 to uh, 29, and then how to pray in regard to the same reality of the future and our uncertainties about it from verses 30 to 33. Plans and prayers. Paul has a particular strategy. He indicates this in verse 22. This is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. There is a reason why he has not yet gone to Rome, and that is his strategy. His strategy of planting gospel churches in unreached areas meant that he had not yet gone to Rome. This overarching strategy prevented him from going to Rome so far, and yet the very same strategy, as we will see, meant that he was making plans first to go to Jerusalem and then to go to Rome so that the Roman Christians could help him on the next stage of that great strategy as he planned to go to Spain. Plans and prayers. Now, we all make plans, don't we, especially at this time of the year? It's a fairly common thing to do. You may be planning uh, for your studies. You may be looking at your schedule and figuring out when you've got to do your homework. You may be uh, formulating a business plan. You may be thinking through how you are to plan time away in spring. Though if the weather stays like this, perhaps more people will be around in Wheaton in spring than is typical. You may have all sorts of plans and ideas on your mind. And you may wonder, how is it that a Christian is meant to make those kind of plans? Sometimes Christians feel that having a strategy is a somewhat um, unspiritual thing to do. Yeah, what I want us to understand here about Paul's planning is it came out of an overarching driving gospel strategy. It is possible to plan in a selfish way, plan in a human way, plan in a self-reliant way, but it is also possible to plan as an expression of the strategy of the gospel, which is what Paul is doing here. In fact, I want to commend to you his planning. I want to commend to you a life well-lived means being deliberate about how we use our time, about how we use our gifts and our talents that we as Christians are not meant to be lazy. We are meant to invest our talents and our time for the great purpose of the advance of the kingdom. And so often, isn't it true that those of us who quite like to sit around and watch Netflix binge TV can use a somewhat super spiritual excuse not to actually sit down and do the hard work of planning out what it is that God wants us to do with our lives. But it's a very important thing to do, whether you are 14 or 45 or 75. God has given you today, and how are you going to use it for Him? You are a steward of your life. He has given you resources. He has given you a talent. He has given you a gift. He has given you a life, and it is meant to be invested for His glory and for His purpose and for the advance of His kingdom. And how are you going to do, use that? I want to commend to you the Christian planning that is here uh, modeled. In fact, I want to make the argument this morning that such planning out of a true strategy of the gospel is intrinsic to being a Christian. 
E.H. Carr put it like this, the belief that we have come from somewhere is closely linked with the belief that we are going somewhere. So we as Christians believe that the world was created ex nihilo, out of nothing, that it began at a certain time, and it is going to end at a certain time. That is, this universe began somewhere and is going somewhere. We also believe that God has a purpose. He has a kingdom that is advancing. The seed is sown, and the tree is growing, and the kingdom is advancing. It has begun, and it is advancing, and it is going somewhere. And there will be a great consummation of the ages when Christ returns, the parousia, the coming back of Christ. And that is where history is going. And so this planning, which seems just like a travel log, I'm going to go here, I'm going to go there, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do do that, actually comes out of a fundamental commitment to a certain kind of worldview, that the world began somewhere, it's going somewhere, the kingdom is the purpose of God for the whole universe, and Paul is orientating his life around that kingdom for the glory of Christ. And I want to commend to you doing that and understanding it is intrinsic to being a Christian. In fact, if you look at world history throughout the globe, other philosophies, other religions do not have such an attitude. Islam is fundamentally fatalistic and rather depressing. And so Islamic societies tend to get stuck. They get stuck in inshallah, as Allah wills. There's nothing we can do about it. There is nothing we can do to give our lives to this inshallah, this God who will do whatever he wants, and they tend to get stuck. And Buddhist societies tend to go round and round and round in circles. For history doesn't begin somewhere, and it is not going somewhere. It is circular. But for the Christian, history has begun somewhere and is going somewhere. And so we who follow Christ have this fantastic and extraordinary opportunity to steward our lives for the progress of the gospel. And I want to commend that to you this morning. I want you to leave this morning with a fresh commitment saying, I am going to give my life for someone and for something that will last forever that I am not just drifting like a piece of flotsam and jetsam on the tides of life, but I have a purpose, I have a goal, and God is calling me to invest for His great glory, and I have this one life, and I have this one day today, and who am I going to tell about Jesus today? And who am I going to disciple today? And how am I going to make the most of my life today? For the gospel is advancing, and there's an opportunity for you to give your life for that eternal purpose, to no longer be, oh, you know, I'll just go home and I'll watch TV, and maybe there's something, you know, maybe there's a sports program. I wonder who's playing. Is someone in the Super Bowl, something like that? You know, that's really exciting. You know, is it it the Bears? Oh, how badly the Bears are doing. Let's talk about that. And, you know, what about the Packers? You know, it's that great, you know, the Packers, and, you know, maybe, you know, maybe the... uh, the baseball will win again next year, and let's think about that, and you know, blah, 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 round and round and round and round it goes, and we're just like everyone else, and we're just drifting, and there's no real purpose, and because there's no real purpose, all you do with your life is you just amass more and more stuff, more and more things, and now my value is orientated around whether I've got a big car or a small car. Whether I have a big house or a small house. Because you're thinking to yourself, deep down, this world is not really going anywhere. And when I die, that will be it. And there's nothing left. And therefore, I'm just going to amass as much stuff. 
stuff as I can, and that will make me feel a little bit better. And I'll beat my chest and go, well, look at me. I'm driving a big car. And you drive past the place where big cars get wrecked into small packages of steel. And you think, is that really it? Of course it isn't. And so Paul, who seems a super spiritual giant, and of course he is an apostle and he has a particular purpose and a particular calling to plant churches in unreached areas, and that is not everyone's calling. It's not my calling. I'm a pastor here. This church was founded 150 years ago. It's someone's calling here. We do have people who are out there planting churches in unreached areas. It may be your calling to go and do that. But each of you is called to be a Christian. If you are his, you're called to follow him. And as being called to follow him, you are called to make the most of every moment of your life. Don't waste it. You might be dead tomorrow. And you're standing there face to face of Jesus. And he'll say, what did you do that Sunday, January the 22nd? You'll say, well, you know, I listened to a sermon. It was a little bit boring. You got kind of excited. And then I went out for lunch, and well, it wasn't that great. And then I went home, and I watched some Netflix, and then I surfed the internet a little bit. And then I thought, well, I've got to go to work tomorrow, or I've got to do my study for my grades tomorrow, and now I'm dead, and here I am, Jesus. Would you invest your talents, your time, in the great strategy of the advance of the kingdom? Now you can say, how do I do that? Just give you a few tips. A few ideas, and in particular, one question to ask. Here's the question. It's not original to me. It's a question the man called Vaughan Roberts often asks as students in Oxford. I've used it over and over again because I think it is so good, and here it is. With the person that you are. So I can't hear from the pulpit tell you exactly how to make the most of today. I can't tell you whether you should tell this someone about Jesus or disciple this person or spend time with your children. You're going to have to make that responsible decision yourself. But you can, and I can give you this question to ask. With the person that you are, with the gifts that God has given you, What can you most do to advance the kingdom? That's the question. With a person you are, with the gifts that God has given you, what can you most do to advance the kingdom? Now, let me put a caution here. Those of you who are ministry people will be tempted to think that means you can give your life to the church and ignore your children, ignore your families, and there are shipwrecks of families like that. Don't do that. For part of giving your life to the kingdom is investing in the little kingdom, the little church that you're primarily called to serve. That's a huge part of it. Don't take this to the extreme of alienating your wife or your children. Because that is part of your calling. That is your gifting. That is your responsibility too. Don't over-spiritualize it. But do make, let me commend to you again, it is part of the Christian worldview. It is part of what it means to be a Christian. It is intrinsic to the biblical truth of who God is and what the kingdom is. And it is a challenge and an example of the Apostle Paul 
to make these kind of plans and then execute them and then do something about them. And it is up to you. And you will be held account before the Lord on the last day with how you used your life. So let me commend to you that question. With the person you are and with the gifts that God has given you, what can you do most to advance the kingdom? Now, having said all that, I want you to notice that Paul's plans didn't come as he expected them to come about. I doubt he expected to turn up in Rome as a prisoner. And it may well be that your plans do not come about as you had expected. And so we always pray, pray, pray and plan as the Lord wills. Proverbs 16 verse 9, man plans the heart, God directs the steps. In fact, you may be sitting there thinking, this is all very well, but I had a plan. And I thought it was God's will, but my plan A has gone wrong. Well, let me encourage you this way. If your plan A doesn't work out, there are 25 more letters. Pick up with B and keep going. Now, right in the midst of this planning, there's a particular aspect that I want to briefly mention for it wouldn't be doing justice to the text if I didn't, and that's a financial matter. Paul is going to Jerusalem because um, he views the Jerusalem gift, this gift of the Gentiles to the Jews in uh, Jerusalem as a salvific fruit of the ministry of the gospel. So as the gospel had come from the Jews, so it was right the Gentiles who received the gospel should give back to the Jewish Christians financial assistance. Paul is very careful about money. He's very sensitive about it. He alludes to it. But it is clear here. Plus, it is also clear that Paul mentions it not just to explain his travel plans to the Roman Christians, but also so that he can, by implicit competition, encourage the Roman Christians to be generous to him too as he goes on his way to Spain, that they would help him on his way to Spain. He wants to stir up those relatively more prosperous Roman Christians to be generous. Surely that is an application for us in the West. Professor at Stanford University imagined that uh, the population of the whole world was one village of a hundred people. And if that were the case, he concluded that six people would possess 59% of the world's wealth and all six would be from the United States. We surely must be a generous people, and we are, and we must continue to be so. And that, of course, is part of planning and investing. Are your financial resources going towards the progress of the gospel? Now we come to the prayer, and you'll be glad to know that I will shout much less about praying. Verses 30 to 33, listen with me. I urge you, or I appeal to you, brothers, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ, 
and by the love of the Spirit. Can you hear the tenderness of Paul? The love of the Spirit. To join with me in striving or my struggle by praying to God for me. So this Roman church that had Jews and Gentiles, he is still urging them to come together and to come together in prayer. It's said that the family that prays together stays together and the church that prays together realizes its bonds in Christ are far more significant than any other racial, economic, socio-cultural differences. Join together by praying to God for me. In particular, pray that I may be rescued from the unbelievers in Judea. Isn't it wonderful how Paul needs prayers? Paul, the great apostle, the super spiritual giant, looks at his travel plans and he's nervous. It is no sign of spiritual immaturity to ask for prayer, it is a sign of spiritual maturity. Pray that I may be rescued from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service in Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints there. It is no sign of spiritual maturity to want your ministry to be acceptable to other Christians. It is a sign of spiritual maturity. Pray that my ministry in Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints there so that by God's will, he prays as the Lord wills. He knows that his plans may be redirected by God, God who directs our steps, even though he plans underneath the advance of the gospel as his strategy, that by God's will, I may come to you with joy. Paul is not a depressive, dark, negative personality. With joy. And together with you, he's not an isolationist, as we'll see next week. There are this great list of friends of Paul's, co-workers, colleagues. He's together with them. With you, be refreshed. That's why we go to church, isn't it? That together with joy, we might be refreshed. That's what we're looking for this morning. Refreshment, that we can go out and go, yeah, I understand the truth. I can commit my life to Christ. And as he models here, therefore he says, the God of peace be with you, amen. In other words, when we pray, when we cast our cares on God, for he cares for us, when we commit our concerns to God, when we pray about everything, then the God of peace is with us, for we give our concerns to God. And then God gives us his peace, the God of peace, the presence of the God of peace himself is with you. Not just the feeling of peace, but the objective reality of God. The God of peace with you. So I want you to notice that Paul needs prayer and therefore we need prayer. I want you to notice that praying is a striving thing, a struggling thing. Real and effective prayer is not simply saying a prayer. Real and effective prayer is getting down on your knees and striving. It's getting up early in the morning because there's a child, there's a teenage child that you're worried about. And you get on your knees and you don't just say, Lord, would you bless so-and-so? And you move on. You say, Lord, please.
please, I pray, I beg you, I ask, would you intervene in that person's life? That's prayer. It's striving. It's not because God doesn't want to hear us, not because we have to persuade God, but because there's a spiritual dynamic where as we pour out our hearts to God, He as a heavenly Father longs to hear our hearts and together shifts our desires to be more in line with His will. We begin to see the advance of His kingdom for His sovereign purposes because He's a heavenly Father who loves to hear from us. He desires for us to pray for Him, to tell Him what we're thinking, to tell Him what we're feeling. Pour out our hearts for God and strive with God for prayer. Lord, there's a ministry out there that is struggling. They're financially struggling. Lord, you own the cattle on the thousand hills. Would you please provide above and beyond what they can ask or imagine? Would you do that? You're striving in prayer. Lord, this evangelicalism here, this Wheaton, this Wheaton College, would you take this place, this college church, would you take this place and shine this light Throughout the nation so that God would you be glorified through the orthodox, true, biblical Christ. Would he be elevated and all other idols smashed. That's praying, begging that God would work. Not because you have to like twist his arm, but because he's your heavenly father. And he longs to have this relationship with you. And so in his sovereign purpose, that we would have a relationship with him. And that we would pray with him. He works through the urgent, earnest, faith-filled, striving prayers of his united people. It needs to be our prayers, striving together. Many examples of this. Come, my soul, thy suit prepare. Jesus loves to answer prayer. He himself has bid thee pray. Therefore, will not say thee nay. John Newton. And again, John Newton said this. My soul, ask what thou wilt Thou canst not be too bold, since his own blood for thee he spilt, what else can he withhold? As Charles Spurgeon put it, oh hear us then, for we are very weak and frail, we make the Savior's name our plea, and surely must prevail. And then the God of peace is with us. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Let's pray together. Would you then, my brothers and sisters, By our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, would you join me in my struggle by praying to God? Lord, you help us now to strive together in prayer. Lord, I want then to pray for um, our families. 
Would you protect our families? Would you grant husbands fidelity? Would you grant wives fidelity? Would you grant children training in righteousness? So they would, as it were, run ahead of their parents with zeal for you. Lord, I pray for our missionaries. Church planters around the world, would you protect them? But as they risk their lives for you gloriously, would it be true that the blood of the martyrs is the seedbed for the church around the world from this place, we pray. As we make that prayer for our missionaries, Lord, we are convicted. Would you prevent us from living lives of quiet desperation? And instead, this morning, commit to you our time, our talents, our gifts for the great cause of the gospel. Would you help us, Lord, to wake up in the morning thinking of people we can tell about you? Would you help us, Lord, to wake up in the morning thinking of how we can train our children? Would you help us, Lord, as we study to love you with all our heart, soul, and mind? And we pray that the God of peace will be with us. In Jesus' name, amen.